0: If you could look back at your younger life and undo and then redo one thing, if you were given a do-over, a mulligan, have you thought about where you would take it? What moment, what decision would you change? Now, don't say it out loud, especially if the person sitting next to you, but I'm uh, <laughs> I've played that game, I'm sure you have too, where you go back in time and you think, okay, you know, I had, you know, maybe for example, you had two college acceptance letters and you chose one of them and then that led you to meet your future spouse and that led to a job and that led to a future that you're living right now and you could rewind and go, well, wow, like if I had just made that other decision, everything else in my life would be different. Um, Or maybe there was the day when, you know, I don't know, you were really mean to your dad. And he had in his check a $10,000 $10, check in his pocket. He was going to buy you a new car, but you were mean, so he just ripped it up and forgot about it. And wow, your whole life would have been different if it hadn't been that one little decision, right? Who knows? If you go back and you think through life that way, one of the challenges with that thought exercise is that the negative things are also a part of who you are and the positive things that have happened since then. So, so if you were to go back and like fix something that you know wasn't the best or wasn't quite right, that might also mess up the chain of events that led to some of the things that you have or the people that you love right now. So, so obviously this is kind of an exercise in futility to really give that a lot of thought. But I heard someone the other day give a great answer to that question, and I realized that his answer is really the same as mine. He said, you know, if I could go back uh, to being, whatever, a teenager or something again, what I would do differently is I would, I would aim to be more pure in my heart than I was. I would, I, instead of doing it my way, I would really seek out God's wisdom and do it His way. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought, you know, that is my that is true for all of us every day of our lives. The more, the more I think about it, I think, well, I, I kind of wish I would have done that more yesterday, not just 20 years ago, but every day that goes by and I look back, the, the things that I wish I could undo is when I let my own either lust or pride or greed make a decision or create an attitude in my heart or be something I daydreamed about. It, anytime that happened, those are the things I regret. And when I look back and go, what, what am I glad for? What am I proud of in a good way? Well, it's the times that I said yes to doing it Jesus' way. So as we think about our lives, one of the things I'm struck by is how it's like we're in this I don't know, lifelong struggle of good and evil, but the struggle isn't really out there. I mean, we know that that's out there. There's temptation out there. The bigger struggle is in here. I mean, do you feel that too? Remember that verse in the Bible that says your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked? Say, well, who is your heart deceitful toward? Like, is your heart deceitful toward me or deceiving me somehow? Well, probably not. My heart is doing that to me, and your heart is doing that to you. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he offers us a better way, one of the reasons why his way is so transformational is that he didn't just hold up a list of values and say, hey, here's a better way. He actually offers you the power to be different in your heart, that your heart could be recreated and transformed in a new way. So we're going to explore that a little bit today and take one more step on the journey. If you're just joining us, we, we've been on this, I think, eight weeks now talking about the Jesus way and just contrasting how what Jesus taught and modeled is so different than what naturally we would do as human beings. But his way always proves to be superior And so, in any category of life, you know, we might have our own notion of what we should do, but if we're willing to follow Jesus instead of our own hearts, we'll end up in a far better place than if we do it our way, okay? So, here's kind of our summary. We start the Jesus way of life when we repent, turning away from our way so we can follow his example in all things, and that's a daily choice. We've all learned that. Uh, Through experience, if you've followed Jesus, you know there was a day one, the day you put your faith in Jesus, you become a Christian, you trust God, and then you realize, wait a minute, on day two, now I'm, I'm freshly empowered, I have this joy, but I still have to decide each day whether or not I'm going to obey Jesus or walk my own way. So that's why we're doing this series, just to sort of put some tools in all of our hands. What did Jesus say we're to do, and how can we do those things? So Jesus introduced his life-changing message to people who were not only broken on the outside, but who were rotten on the inside. Now, it's a lot more popular, and I don't know, like politically cool or something, to talk about people being broken on the outside. Because all of us relate to that, and it might not even be their fault why they're broken, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about there. It's a lot less popular to talk about being rotten on the inside. And yet you know yourself. I mean, do I need to convince you that you have a little rottenness on the inside? I don't know. I don't have to, I don't have to go very far to see my own. Uh, when I think about the things that I've craved, the things that I've imagined, the, the hate that's been in my heart, the anger, the selfishness, the lust, like I look at all that and go, yeah, I, that verse is true. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And, and even though I, you know, kind of as a pastor, I get to live in sort of a religious environment, and that doesn't exempt me from the same thing that you're facing, that in our hearts, even though we know that Jesus' way is far superior, there's still a lot of temptation. And it's not just temptation we encounter in the world, it's temptation that our own hearts give to us. So you could do all the right things on the outside. I mean, you could show up at church every time that's possible. You could could even detach yourself completely from worldly temptation, and you would still have a problem. I would still have a problem. Then Jesus says this, which makes it, I guess, even a little bit worse. He said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. I'd love to meet some of those people. Wouldn't you? I don't think I've met any of them yet, at least not from a human point of view, because when I look at my heart and then the hearts of the people I know, what I realize is that I don't feel like I have a pure heart. How do you feel about yours? So what can we do? What does the Jesus way teach? What does Jesus, does he offer us a way To not just sort of look up at this lofty moral standard and go, well, yeah, there it is, but I fall so far short of that, I don't really have any power to fix it. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7, and we're going to see what Jesus said to the people in his day who were probably the most committed to purity, at least as far as everyone thought. Does anyone remember who that group was called, what that group was called? It's the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, the, the lofty elites who would spend all their time thinking about how to apply the law of Moses to their lives. A lot of them had it memorized. Everyone knew if you wanted to talk about holiness, if you wanted to talk about the purity of things, you would talk to this crowd, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Yet Jesus could see right through them and he knew that they had a massive problem, not on the outside, but on the inside, where it actually matters. So here's the story. One day, verse one, one day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. And here we are in the 21st century, and some people still fail to follow that ritual. Go figure. But they were really worried about it because to them, it wasn't just about germophobia. To them, it was actually like a demonstration of holiness. Like if you're going to be pure, then you have to go through these rituals and you have to stay pure. You have to follow the letter of the law. And even more than that, this group had developed laws to circle around the laws to make sure that you didn't break an actual law because the traditions were treated like laws. So it was complicated, but they were committed to purity to that level. Some of you germaphobes and neat freaks or whatever, you're going, hey, like, I could probably fit in with these guys. I I like it. All right, look at verse 3. You'll like this too. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So they were were COVID-friendly way back then. What do you know? Verse 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? Why uh, do they eat first without performing the hand-washing ceremony? Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. See, here's what Jesus knew. The Pharisees didn't know that Jesus knew this about their hearts, but they, they had mastered the art of religious performance. They were amazing at looking good, looking righteous, but their hearts were full of greed and pride and, and worrying about what everybody else thought of them. Their hearts were filled with lust. And so when Jesus saw them, he didn't see them, you know, clean and pure, like, wow, look at your hands have no filth on them at all, because their hand was clean, but their heart was filthy. And so what you have here is not necessarily anything against hand washing, but you have a spectacular lack of perspective from these Pharisees and these teachers who were so worried about on the outside of things at all looking right, but inside their hearts were filled with evil. Verse 9, he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, can't help you, for I have vowed to give God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God. In order to hand down your own tradition and this is only one example among many others so this is what would happen so frequently is they were committed to following the rules right but then they would just develop traditions that allowed them to follow the rules and still not actually follow the heart of the rules so the heart of the rule but like the example Jesus gave was if your parents are in need take care of them it's your responsibility to love them but instead they came up with a religious workaround didn't they like a really holy sounding workaround. Hey, mom and dad, I know you're struggling, but I have dedicated all the time and energy. If you could look back at your younger life and undo and then redo one thing, if you were given a do over, a mulligan, stories of life, that's what this group had done. They were working around and missing the heart. Then Jesus said to the crowd to come near. In verse 14, all of you listen, try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. And there it is. There's our problem. Our problem is not what's going in. Our problem is what comes out of each one of us. Jesus went, away to a ho- or went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by this parable that he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put in your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Then he added, and this is kind of our point for today, it is what comes from inside you that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So you look here at the words of Jesus and you recognize that whether you're a Pharisee or not, this is true. That even if there isn't someone out there tempting you, you still find ways to tempt yourself because inside your heart are where all those evil things lurk. And until something changes in your heart, no matter how deeply you look within, you're not going to find an answer to the problem. So Lord, what is the answer? So we're going to walk through that on the Jesus way here today. First, we need to know this. Sins we see are always caused by sins we don't. You think about someone who you commit a terrible sin, like for example, someone commits adultery, divorces their spouse, leaves their kids, and you go, man, that's terrible. What happened? Well, it's not like the person woke up in one day and did all those things. That sin started as heart-level sins, probably over the course of months or years, that eventually kind of erupted into a whole big lifestyle meltdown. You look at someone who gets arrested, and you see them, you know, you see them in the news that maybe they get arrested for child porn or something horrible and twisted like that. And you go, well, that person didn't just wake up one day and start that. that there, there, was, there were sins that we didn't see that were already happening that one day added up to the sins that we did see. So this is true for all of us. Whether your sins are newsworthy or whether we think of them as socially acceptable and everyone passes you by any sin that you see started in the heart it started in somewhere you couldn't see so the Jesus way invites us into true purity not just into moral rituals and religious performance so the Jesus way is not to go the way of the Pharisees where you say wow like there's some evil lurking around my life I need to clean up the outside I need to wear the whatever special robes or I need to do the rituals or wash my hands and and then at least I'll be pure. Well, no, you, you won't because those things are on the outside of you but what really is God is interested in the most is what's inside of you. Jesus framed it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You remember this context where Jesus was showing them how the law like they were thinking that they were keeping the law because they were keeping the letter of the law but missing the spirit so in this case well i've never committed adultery well jesus say well if you're looking at people with lust you're violating the law this in all the same way or someone would say well i've never murdered someone but their heart is filled with hatred well you're missing the whole vision of what a pure heart looks like if all you're trying to do is take care of what's on the outside God is interested in your heart. So, our step on the Jesus way today looks like this. The Jesus way is free from lust, and instead it is full of gratefulness. See, the gratefulness can cut lust off at the knees. Gratefulness is the thing that can change your day-to-day life, your attitude, and it's the thing that can flow out of your renewed heart. As Jesus saves you and changes you, you're given a new heart. What decision do you need to make each day to kind of activate all that? Well, there's probably a few, but gratefulness is a key. I want to show you why uh, over just the next couple of minutes, okay? First of all, I can lust for what I don't have, or I can be grateful for what I do have. In the Ten Commandments, we read the, the Tenth Commandment says, do not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting is sort of that envious jealousy that wants more, really just lust, right? Lust in any category where instead of being content, instead of having any kind of happiness or joy, you look out at the world as a question of what more can I get? And if that's your attitude, sadly, you'll always be longing for more. You'll never actually accomplish what you're aiming for. But gratefulness can turn the tables on all of that. That's why I really believe gratefulness, like on our steps to the Jesus way, we've talked about honesty and generosity and a variety of things. Gratefulness is a step that you can take that, that literally when you, just in the moment that you express thanks, you change the story. So let's just compare this for a minute, just to kind of explore it, and then I'll show you how we can try doing it this week. The difference between a lustful heart and a grateful heart, there's a lot of differences. A lustful heart is always wanting more. A grateful heart can celebrate what it has. A lustful heart is never happy. Why? Because lust is never fulfilled. So if you give yourself over to lust, all you're doing is signing up for a lifetime of frustration and despair because it won't go anywhere Uh, versus a grateful heart can find daily happiness in many things. If you think about the difference you're walking through the, you know, down in the park or something, a grateful heart, is just seeing like wonder and joy everywhere and all these reasons to say thanks. Thanks to God. Thanks to the people around them. Life is full of joy and color and interest. There are so many things where you lay your head on the pillow at night and you're just thinking like, wow, I have such a great life. Thank you, Lord. Okay, a lustful heart could walk through the same situation and instead, it's kind of like they've got this, this sort of this dark cloud over them because they're wondering as they're looking around, either what am I missing out on or what, what does someone else have that I don't have or, wow, that person's prettier than my spouse, I wish I had that person. Like their, their lustful heart is making everything dark and filling every moment with sadness. And so they lay their head on the pillow at night, depressed, angry, unfulfilled. So here's the choice. This is why gratefulness is such a contrast to lust. Okay, fear of missing out, you know, FOMO there, um, that is a that's, a, that's sort of a, that's a big evidence of lust, isn't it? That you, some people, it like, it messes with them to the point where if like a friend was to call and say, hey, let's, let's hang out, you know, maybe we could go bowling or something. Instead of them just like joyfully interacting with that friend, what starts to go through their mind is like, well, if I say yes to this, What if a different friend who's more popular or there's more fun somewhere else that I could be... What if I say yes to this and I miss out on something else? And so even the fun things in life become cloudy because you can't actually enjoy anything if your heart is so wrapped up in getting all that you can out of everything, you miss the joy in anything. A grateful heart is thankful for experiences. A lustful heart devalues and uses people. So you just think about the words of Jesus when he said... If you lust after a woman in your heart, guys, it's, you're, you're breaking the, the commandment not to commit adultery already in doing that in your heart. That, that, that whole process devalues the person, uses that person, rather than appreciating like who God made them to be and even more, who God made you to be, not driven by lust. Uh, lust grows into envy and jealousy, as we're all well aware. Gratefulness grows into contentment and joy each day. Lustful hearts have endless craving. And here's the irony. A grateful heart has endless satisfaction. What is a lustful heart wishing for the most? Satisfaction. But that's the one thing lust can never deliver. Lust will always lie to you and say, you'll be satisfied if you you fill in the blank. And yet, gratefulness is actually the thing that will satisfy you. Until you can find that in your mind, if you keep believing the, lo- the, the lies of lust, you'll waste time pursuing something that will never come to fruition. Lustful heart is impoverished. Impoverished in spirit, I think oftentimes lustful hearts lead to actual poverty financially. Certainly the, the, the habits that would make you poorer are embedded in what a lustful heart would do. Uh, the habits that would generally make you richer Uh, or at least stay richer would be the ones that a grateful heart would maintain. Obviously, you could be rich and full of lust, or you could be poor and great. the, the, The idea here is that in your heart, it's not about dollars. It's about like whether you go to bed at night and feel like your life is full of blessing, or do you go to bed at night and feel like you're missing out and that nothing's fair? See, that's what lust will do to you. It will ruin. So even if you are rich by this world's standards, lust can ruin that for you. You won't feel rich. Okay, lust just makes you miserable in the end. Grateful hearts understand how to be happy. So, a question to you before we move on into kind of the practical portion of what we can do, would you be willing to leave lust behind and embrace gratefulness? See, the world, much of the world, is driven by lust, not just sexual lust, although that's a big driver for things, but lust for more, of whatever, fill in any blank. And, and here the world is out there driving at this and finding less and less fulfillment in anything. And you could go on that train. You might already be on that train, and you can keep trying, but, but all, any, any wisdom from perspective will tell you that that won't end up working. It'll be just like when we started. We look, look back. What would you change about the past? Well, that's the thing I would change. What would you change about yesterday? That's the thing I would change. So if we don't want to live that life of just sort of regret, how, how do we move in to gratefulness and leave lust behind? Here are a few things. First of all, realize the price you're paying. Realize that lust is preventing you from ever experiencing what it promises. In Ephesians, Paul writes about the world chasing after pleasure and giving their hearts to pleasure, just looking for the next high, looking for the next pleasure that's out there. And it says that they're left with a continual lust for more. It never, ever ends. And so the very thing that lust is promising you when it comes and knocks on your heart's door, or I don't know how you want to think of the metaphor, your heart knocking on your door or something, and and say, hey, let's engage in lust, let's want the next thing, you will never get that thing. The thing that's being promised will never be delivered by lust. It's always a lie. You won't end up happy. You'll never be fulfilled. So that leads you then to this realization, the second one you start to realize that lust is reversing your humanity and wasting your lifetime. Now, when I say reversing humanity, I'm thinking of this, that um, we, y- y- have you ever heard someone be called like animalistic? Like they have an animalistic tendency or something like that. You just think about like all sort of morality breaking down and the person just, whatever, fighting and scratching for whatever they can get. Lust takes you in that direction. It doesn't take you forward. Lust isn't progress in your life. Lust doesn't get you anywhere. It certainly doesn't make you more of a person or doesn't grow your character. It's the opposite of that. It's letting go of civilization is ultimately what lust offers. You're becoming more and more like an animal and less and less like the glorious, eternal, loving, creative, dynamic, excellent person God designed you to become. In Romans 1, there's sort of a breakdown of how that happens, that it says that there, this society that it's sort of picturing in Romans 1 started with not honoring God and not being willing to thank God for what they had. And then that one thing led to another, led to another, until literally all bonds of morality were gone. I mean, they just, everything fell apart. It just completely disintegrates into the last verse of that chapter, just saying people inventing ways to be evil. Like, civilization fails when lust is, is in charge. So, lust is, is taking away who you are, who you were meant to be. It's also wasting your lifetime. Uh, when I used to work in the jail ministry with my parents, I would run into people who I would always be struck because they would be the same age as me, but their whole lifetime would have been given over to whatever it was, drugs or crime or something. And, and you just look at the life that they've lived and go, you're... I don't, I don't know, that's not, I mean, somehow your whole life is wrapped up in just what happens tomorrow, and you're missing the vision of life that God, like there isn't any vitality or joy in what's happening. So don't waste your lifetime pursuing lust, whether that's all in private and the quietness of your own heart and home and no one else knows, or whether you end up on the front page someday and some horrible crime. If you, if you believe the lies of lust, it will suck away your lifetime and you'll be left with nothing. Most of the time, if you give your life to lust, you end up alone and sad, not just sad. So there's a far greater love to which you can give the best of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You might remember those, that phrase comes from the greatest commandment where Jesus says of all the commandments in the law, this is what you've gotta do, love God with the totality of your being, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that, and you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, in essence, you'll fulfill the whole law. That is the road of purity. It doesn't start with rules, it starts with love. The more you love God, the more you give your heart to God, the less room there is for lust to cloud your day or take away your purpose. And so the greatest commandment also leads you to the greatest satisfaction. If you miss that, you miss life. You miss what your whole life is for, why God even created you. So, defeating lust in your life and staying true to your created purpose is a long distance race to run. Like, those of you who've been following Jesus for a while, like, you know that this particular topic, this isn't just like one step and you're like, hey, I'm all clear. No, this is a daily run of staying pure, keeping your eyes on the prize, letting Jesus be the object of your high affection and not letting yourself be degraded into craving the things of this world. Like, it's a struggle and it's a race and you keep running it. Gratefulness gives you a gigantic head start on that race because when your heart is grateful, your perspective is different. And the the temptations that are out there and in here all start to lose their luster when you realize who god made you to be what god has done for you and what is available to you and when you start saying thank you to him things happen change happens it really takes you the other direction from romans 1 where they started off being ungrateful and then everything fell apart if you start off being grateful everything gets put back together it's not instant it's not magic but it's one step after another following Jesus along his way, and life starts to go the direction it was intended to go, okay? So, what I'd like to do as we wrap up is give you just a few really practical ideas on how you could begin. Like, what would it mean if you said, okay, I, I, I do want, you know, God to change my heart, and I realize I need transformation of my character, my whole self, and, and Lord, like, you're willing to give me this power. What do I need to do? Say, well, on a day-to-day basis, you make the choice to go Jesus's way instead of yours. If you're willing to make that choice each day, God will give you the rest of the power that you need. Like when you say, I can't do it. I've been struggling with this stuff for 30 years. Well, God can give you the power. God can can help you overcome that. Uh, Or some of you who are teens, you're saying like, man, everybody around me lives lives just completely consumed by lust. I don't, how would I ever stay pure in an environment like that? How would I ever have a different attitude than that? How do I not let that rub off on me and become who I am too? God can give you the power to walk past all that, to overcome all that. Your, your part in the, in the story is not to come up with the power and the strategies. Your part is to say, Lord, when it comes to a moment of choice, I'm gonna trust you enough to take your way instead of taking my way. So here's a couple practical ideas of how you could sort of, when that moment of lustful temptation shows up, how could you go to gratefulness and use that as your weapon, all right? One idea. The next time you're tempted to click toward images that feed lust, pause, open up a blank note page, and start typing things that you're grateful for. That will cut lust off at the knees fast. Because when you're, when you're tempted to lust, you're, you're, you're being tempted by something you don't have that in that moment you wish you had. But suddenly when you turn your attention the other direction and you say, well, what do I have? What has God given me? What opportunities are in front of me? What people are in my life? What, what, you know, what future do I have? Well, suddenly there's a whole bunch of stuff to live for rather than just being like an animal and giving in to lust next one when you start daydreaming and discontent pause and consider the mission in your life that is not yet finished thank god for giving you valuable passions and opportunities so m- maybe for you uh, i mean this i fall to this sometimes too you you know one day you're just daydreaming about man if my salary could double Could I do double? Maybe I could. How about triple? How about quadruple? Like, wow, what could I buy then? You you start going crazy in your mind with all the possibilities of what money could give you. And, And the lust for more can be like this big daydream that makes you so discontent with all the things that you have. So when that starts, instead of going that direction in the daydream, turn it a little bit. And realize, wait a minute, my life is not done. My heart is still beating. God has a purpose for me to fulfill. So, Lord, thank you for that. Like, thank you for giving me a mission that's worth living for. Lord, let's talk about that. And and you start realizing you have valuable passions and opportunities. And throughout Christian history, by the way, um, there's always been a differentiation between lust and passion. Um, You know, sometimes in our culture we use those words interchangeably. But there's a different nuance to those. Uh, Lust is selfish, and it's something you're grabbing for yourself. Passion is something that you would give forward energy to. So you you can be passionate about your love for God. You can be passionate about your love for your spouse. You can be passionate about getting great grades in school or working hard to earn money. You can be passionate about whatever it is you're inventing or trying to do in your life. You can give your passion... But not out of selfish lust so lord thank you for creating me with all sorts of desires lord i want to channel all that desire not toward myself but i want to channel it toward loving you and loving other people and that makes life so exciting when you can live and think that way here's the last idea get proactive about feeding your love for god by building time into your day Morning's is a good choice for this to read the Bible and give thanks to Jesus for all that he has done and is doing in your life. Remember how earlier we said the sins that we see always start as sins that we don't see? Well, the reverse of that statement is also true that when you see a person who's on mission for God, whose life is full of love, who's, who you can tell they're living the Jesus way, they didn't just wake up one day and start all that either. There are some unseen things happening that add up to that, and this is one of them, that when they think about their day, God is a part of it. God's Word is a part of it. And so they're prayerful. They've got the Bible open in their life. They're making time. They're putting that, like they're saying, hey, God thought I was worth quite a bit, so I know my life is worth more than just for me to spend it on myself and on my lust." And so, of course, I'll organize my day to be able to make God the priority, when you give attention to that, when you're proactive about developing in your love for God, that love will get greater and greater, and the space for lust in your life will get smaller and smaller. I would never tell you that you'll you'll face a day when you're like, hey, I don't have any temptation at all. Of course you'll have temptation throughout your earthly lifetime. But you can fill all of that void in with how much you love God and then how much you serve God and love other people uh, rather than letting lust control you and define you. So get proactive about this and decide your life, your thinking, your attitude is worth it. It's worth the effort to put in, to go this direction. So just to sum up, seeing what we're doing here, anytime time that lust calls you down, which is what it always does, gratefulness can bring you back up. And so when you're tempted to lust, when you're tempted to be to walk your own way. You say, hold on, I've got to pause here because I have so much to be grateful for, so much to live for, I would not want to spend or waste even one moment in lust. So thankfully, the Jesus way that we get to walk together is free from lust and full of gratefulness. Let's pray and ask Him for the grace we're going to need to take action on this today. Lord, we know that in your word, really all throughout your word, from start to finish, there are plenty of commands for us to be thankful, even for difficulties in our lives we're to be thankful. And now, Lord, maybe we see a little bit more of why that is, that it's not just that you want to hear us say thank you, it's that when we say thank you, it changes who we are. So Lord, I pray for the people in this room, including myself, who have deceitful, wicked hearts. At least that's what we started with, and that's what we contend with. Thanks to you, you've redeemed us, you've given us new life, you offer us a road forward that pulls us out of the muck and mire of sin, gives us a new life a new purpose, an eternal purpose. So, Lord, I pray that you would call that to mind when we do face temptations. I pray that you would help us to walk your way, even though there are things around us that are tempting and there are things that we don't have that we could wish we had or covet about or whatever. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with contentment and joy and gratefulness and that as we go forward we would just be captivated and thrilled by where you want to take us as we follow you and no longer enamored with the things of this world. Lord, we look forward to your plan and your purpose being fulfilled and we trust you as we take this, our next step, on your way. In Jesus' name. All right, thank you so much for being here. Next week, we're going to wrap all this up with one final step on the Jesus way, and then we're off to other things in the weeks to come. I do have some good news, though, right here at the very end for you guys in the room. You have an entitlement. It's a happy entitlement. You get a meat stick in honor of Father's Day. You don't even have to be a dad. Just if you're a guy, you get a meat stick on your way out at both entrances. You will see guys handing those out. Take one, enjoy it. We'll see you next week.